Guys, that was just incredible. Thank you so much. You're talking about not wanting to follow Herbert, Miss Beth. Uh, now I've got to follow y'all. That's not easy either. And Yule, I'm going to tell you something. Don't you let Herbert Brown pick on you about your hair. That's exactly right. Listen, I had one of the members come out of Antioch one day and said, Preacher, don't worry about it. When you get your glorified body, you'll have hair. I said, No, sir. Glorified bodies don't have hair. I'm just closer than you are. <laughs> so me, me and you are in that same boat together. Hope you guys have had a good week. I'll tell you, mine could not have been any better. I have been with an extended part of my family. As I shared with you on Sunday morning, it is good to be at Theresa because if my wife's not kin to you, I probably am. And even all of that aside, you're just good folks. And I have enjoyed the fellowship. I feel like I'm right at home just in a different room of the house. And uh, y'all have fed me way more than I ought to eat. If I keep eating with y'all like this, I'm going to look like a Baptist preacher, and I do not want to. So um, anyway, I do appreciate it so much, though. I'll tell you, Herbert told me last night, he said, Now, the Sunday school class is taking you to the country club tomorrow night. Oh, man, these are some highfalutin folks at the Theresa taking me out to the country club. We had a wonderful meal, and I want to thank that Sunday school class for it. It was fantastic. But we're going to get right back in where we left off last night. But just as a refresher, as you are turning to Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is where our text comes from tonight, that is the fifth book of the Bible, should be pretty easy to find there between Genesis and Revelation. But as you're turning there... Just want to refresh you a little bit. I began on Sunday morning with the proposition that we needed to get back to the basic. I told you that if we are having any hope for our future here in America, it's not going to come on the heels of some politician. It's not going to come because of some new law or anything else. It's going to happen. There will be hope and change in America if it starts within the heart of the people within God's church because those are the tools he will use to bring about positive change. In order for there to be positive change, we've got to get back to the basics, and I think that's where we've gone wrong. I'm just going to be honest with you. We have veered away just a little from the Word of God and his basic tenets and boundaries for life, and when you veer that far away, you may as well be 100 miles down the road. We need to get back to the basics. So I told you on Sunday morning we're going to go through the Ten Commandments, and I know that some of you said that night, oh, you know, it's elementary. I know those things. I really don't need to come this week. But as I said then, I doubt if I were to ask you to come up here and recite them that any of you could really do that without any kind of help or notes or anything. We just forget what we think is so basic. And even if we do know all ten, I think there's oftentimes we forget to live it out. And there's a world outside the walls of our churches that is looking on in unbelief thinking, Really? You know, I'm not a Christian, but I know that their Ten Commandments say that they shouldn't be doing those things. And so our hypocrisy keeps people without the church. What a shame that would be when they stand before the Lord and say, you know, I didn't want to have anything to do with it because so-and-so was in the church. And I figured if that was Christianity, I was just as good as they were. Now, they will stand there without an excuse and they will have to answer for their life. But what a shame it would be for us to be part of their excuse. Do you agree? So we said we're going to get back to these basics. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments. And I said on Sunday night that it's for our own good. As we read through Deuteronomy chapter 10, we found that God had given us these commandments, these basics, these boundaries, not to be an overbearing and powerful God and just to hold us under His thumb and to feel like He was in control. He did it because He loves you. Just as a parent gives their kids boundaries to protect them, God has done the same. You see, He sees the big picture where we see one little piece of the puzzle. He knows what we do not in His omniscience 
and understanding all things in His wisdom. I don't let my children go play in the middle of the street, guys. I don't. And that's not because I don't love them, it's because I do. God doesn't let us play in the streets of the world because He knows if we cross the boundaries of safety that He's set out that it's going to cost us. And it costs dearly. You don't believe me? Watch the news. Look at the things going on around you. It is when we step away from the boundaries and the commandments, the judgments and the statutes of a holy and perfect God that things start to deteriorate in our lives and in our communities. I know you'll agree with me on that. So understand as I stand up here, I'm not reciting a bunch of laws and commandments that you ought to keep and feel like you're having to keep them to be good because goodness never did anybody any good. It's just the truth. You need to keep these because we serve a holy and loving God who deserves no less and it's for your own benefit. It's for our own good. Last night we looked at the first two, that we were to have one God and one only, and that is the Lord. Notice how we read that last night. Remember that you should have no other gods before me. The Lord your God should be your only God. Not just the top of a priority list for you, but He should be everything to you, above all things in your life. And whether your idols... Your gods are money or things or jobs or family or anything else. We need to tear down those idols and get back to making God the focus in our life. Because if we're filtering our decisions and our, everything that we do in life through any other filter, we're going to fail. We also looked at the fact that if we serve such an incredible God that has done these things that you guys have shared with us in song tonight, those things that we talked about from Psalm 23, how He is our Good Shepherd protecting us, providing for us, even for our eternal future, then how could we do anything less than make Him our God? How could we have any idols before Him? And how in the world could we justify taking His name in vain? Now, as we talked about that, I hope you got the point, but there's a couple of things I didn't say last night. Yeah, I told you you shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which means that God's name should never be associated with frustration or negativity when it comes out of your mouth. That's just not fair. He's perfect. He's holy. And we shouldn't defame Him in any way, even if it's just saying, Jesus or good God. Those are taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's not right. But you know what I didn't add to that that I should have? There shouldn't be any profanity coming out of the mouth of a Christian. The Scripture said, I will let no vile thing escape my lips. And I can't tell you the times that folks walk up to me who I know are in our churches in this community and find a way to slide a cuss word into the conversation feeling like it's okay. Folks, again, there is a lost and dying world out there that's listening to you and they hear those things and they say, I don't want any part of that. And besides that, you are royalty if you belong to the Lord. And royalty acts different, looks different, and it talks different. So there you go. There's a little stepping on your toes with the profanity thing. You think it's not harming anybody? It is. So cut it out and speak like the royalty you are. And finally, we talked about keeping the Sabbath. Now, that's a deep one. Herbert, have you gotten a bunch of questions on that one yet? Just wait till I'm gone. It, it'll come. I said, you know, the Sabbath was something that the Jews were to keep as part of a reminder of the Mosaic Covenant, the fact that God had created the earth in six days and then He rested, they were to remember that, to memorialize that in that Old Covenant. In the New Testament church, we are to observe the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper. That has not necessarily replaced it because we still need to rest. Your body wasn't created to go seven days a week all the time. We need to rest. If God gave us the example of doing it, fine time. You know, a Sunday afternoon nap ain't such a bad thing. And I sure hope not, because I try to get one whenever I can. 
But tonight we move beyond those first four commandments that dealt with God. And we're going to start dealing with the last six tonight. We're going to do two of them tonight. And we're going to do so in such a way that we understand how we're supposed to respond to each other in glorifying God. And as we look at these, it may seem on the surface in a message that I entitled, Mother, May I Murder? It may seem like we're dealing with two polar opposite situations. Now, that's an odd title, isn't it? Mother, May I Murder? That sounds silly, but we're dealing with tonight parents and murder. And so, and, and I've only got three more nights with you in Six Commandments, so I figured I had to cover two anyway. And I figured if God could put those two right behind each other, I can do it too, don't you? So as we look at these, I hope that you will understand that I do revivals for two reasons. I don't do it for the Doritos, although if I knew that I was going to get them, I promise you I would have come even earlier. I, I love the things. I don't know who invented them, but I, they were a genius. Love them. And anything with cheese in it is priceless. Man, I was sitting there eating tonight. Jonathan Hubbard was eating his steak, and it was covered with cheese. And I said, man, what are you eating? He said, it's a chopped steak. He said, it's covered with too much cheese. And I thought, man, that's blasphemy, Jonathan. There's no such thing as too much cheese. But I didn't come here for the cheese and Doritos, though I'm going to enjoy it. I didn't come in hopes of some honorarium or money that you might offer me. I do revivals for two reasons. It's because I love the Lord and I love His people. And I say that because I guarantee you before you leave here tonight, I will step on your toes. If I don't, you are far closer to perfect than I am. But I want you to know I'm not stepping on your toes for the fun of it. I'm not trying to offend. I love you. That's why I do these things. And it's when I step on your toes that you're challenged, and I hope you will leave here different people and better tools in God's hands. But I do want to say this. I am not open to complaints when I get done. If you are offended, take it up with the author of the book. You hear that? I will not preach to you anything tonight that is not in the book. So as we go through a message entitled, Mother, May I Murder? Please keep those things in mind. I love you, and so does the Lord, and these commandments are for those reasons. So as we look at it, verse 16 of Deuteronomy chapter 5 says real simply, one that we know by heart, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And verse 17 says, quite simply, thou shalt not kill. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be back here with my family at Theresa. I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. And I do pray, God, that we would be offended by your truth, especially if we're not keeping it. Because, Father, you are a holy God. Your commands have not changed any more than you have. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your expectations of your children are just the same. So as we look at these commands tonight, may we understand they are not ten suggestions. They are commands for our own good. So, Father, give us open hearts and open minds as we move forward in this message. Mother, may I murder. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. So tonight, as we look at these two different topics, again, they may seem polar opposite. How is it that honoring my father and my mother and murder have any kind of relation? Well, they do because ultimately they are about authority and respect. I think you'll see those points very clearly when we get through with the message tonight. But they are about authority and respect, two qualities that are all but dead in America today. Think about it. People do not respect authority. 
and they don't have respect for anything else. I, you know, I'm not surprised when children in church act like animals. I'm really not. People say, I can't believe them children are acting like that. Why not? Why should they respect a pastor or anyone else in a church when their parents don't make them respect them? Why should they respect God when they're not made to respect anything? We know it's true. Kids aren't taught to respect anymore. As a matter of fact, in most homes, the kids are making the decisions and running the household, and that's just upside down, folks. God called the parents to be parents, not the kids. We need to get back to authority and respect. And that's what these two passages really, in effect, are dealing with. You see, our relationships on earth should be mirror images of our relationship with the Lord. We should be acting out in our relationships the way our relationships should look with the Lord and vice versa. And so he's talking about authority and respect. I want to share with you just a couple of things that I jotted down about my parents and what they taught me over the years because parents are priceless. Would you agree? My parents taught me logic. I can remember my mom saying, if you fall off that swing and break your neck, you are not going to the store with me. <laughs> really? I learned logic. My parents taught me about medicine. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. Do you know that's absolutely not true? I believed that for years and didn't cross my eyes. I cross them all the time now with the kids at church just because I know they ain't going to freeze that way. My parents taught me to think ahead. How about that one? If you don't pass your spelling test, you're never going to get a good job. You ever heard something like that? My parents taught me ESP. Now, listen, I didn't say ESPN, fellas. I said ESP, you know, extrasensory perception where you can see the future. Put your sweater on. Don't you think that I know when you're cold? I mean, really, I was a hot-natured kid. I never wanted a coat, but my mom thought she knew better. My parents taught me to meet a challenge. What were you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk back to me. All within split seconds. That's a challenge. My parents taught me humor. I can remember my dad saying, if you cut your toes off with that lawnmower, don't come crying to me. Okay. My parents taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll just never grow up. My wife still can't get me to eat vegetables, and I'm growing up just fine. Besides, eating corn a vegetable, I eat Doritos all the time. My mom taught me about genetics, because if I had a penny for every time she said this one, you are just like your daddy. My parents taught me about my roots. You think you were born in a barn or something? Apparently I wasn't. My mom taught me about anticipation. Just wait till your daddy gets home. They also taught me about receiving. When I'd be on the phone with them and they'd hear a little bit too much noise in the background, you're going to get it when we get home. One of my favorites was they taught me about justice. One day you're going to have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you, and then you'll see what it's like. Finally, though, my parents taught me about the wisdom of age. When you get to be my age, you'll understand. You know, that's so true. Me and one of the brothers were sitting here talking last night about something I had said on Sunday morning. And, you know, I told him, I said, you know, when I was younger, I thought my parents were really speaking a different language. But as I get older, I begin to say those very same things to my children. I can hear my father speaking through my voice. They get smarter every day I live. 
And I know you all understand where I'm coming from on that. So let's talk about this honor in our father and mother. First of all, what is honor? Wrote down what Webster's has to say about honor, and it's this. We are to respect, to value, esteem, and appreciate our parents. Respect, value, esteem, and appreciate. Parents, you deserve that from your children, and you should be demanding it because you're still the parent in God's eyes. Your children should respect, value, honor, esteem, and appreciate you because if you don't teach them that at home, if you don't enforce that at home, you cannot expect your children to ever respect, appreciate, esteem, or value anyone else. You just can't. We should be thankful for our parents. I'm trying real hard not to be emotional on this one. My parents are priceless in my life. I, I had eight of them, eight parents. My parents split, got remarried to wonderful people. My wife's parents did the same, and I consider myself a very blessed man. We've lost a couple of them over the last couple of years, but I consider myself a very blessed man to have the parents I've had. And, you know, I say in here we should honor them because God says we should honor them. You know, they've been where we've not been. I said that to the young people on Sunday night. I said, guys, listen to the older folks. I didn't say old folks. I said older folks. Because they've been where you've not been. They have some experience, some knowledge, some wisdom. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 that I've marked in my Bible here are priceless. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of your mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about your neck of adornment. They have wisdom from experience that we don't have as young people. They deserve our honor. And if nothing else, don't you think it was pretty nice that they let God use them to bring you into the world? If they didn't do anything else for you, they deserve our honor for that reason. But what if you don't have parents anymore tonight? I'm not trying to get onto a sensitive subject here, but let's face it, life goes on and the older we get the more likely it is that our parents have gone on to glory. But it doesn't matter if you don't have parents here anymore. Because as I said earlier, this is truly about authority. Learning to love a heavenly father and honor him, appreciate value and esteem our heavenly father. And if you don't have parents here anymore, there is someone in your life that's in authority above you. The way I understand 1 Peter chapter 2, as a matter of fact, the way I read it, it says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man or every authority for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him of the punishment of evildoers. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What First Peter is saying is that for the authorities that are placed above you, we need to show value, respect, esteem, and appreciation. He said, that's hard to do with some of the folks that are in authority above me. When it comes to my boss, I'd just rather pinch his head off than esteem him. I get you. I've had some of those bosses too. But God is saying that you need to learn to respect authority and honor authority, starting at home with your father and mother, but that carries throughout Scripture. 
And I love some of the things that come from this if we do it. First of all, this is the first commandment, if you'll notice, that comes with a promise. It says, if you honor your father and mother, your days will be prolonged in the land that I have given unto you. And you say, well, that was just to the Israelites, right? It was just saying that if you honor your father and mother, if you respect, esteem, and appreciate and value them, I'm going to give you longer to live in the land of Canaan, that promised land. You know, that's quoted once again back over in Ephesians 6. Every time that this passage comes up, there is a promise for longevity, a longer life. And as I said to you the other night, I want to do anything I can to live just a little bit longer to be a better tool in God's hands and just do as much as I can for Him. You know, we, we spend most of our lives fighting death, don't we? If you get sick, what's the first thing you're going to do? Try to figure out how to get well because you want to live longer. Start honoring your father and mother. And if they're gone, honor those who are above you and in authority. And continue to honor your heavenly Father. Ultimately, though, it boils down to this. God says in Colossians 3, 20 through 21, if you'd like to turn there with me, Colossians 3. I didn't mark it so we'd get there at the same time. I want you to see this one. Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Why do we ultimately honor our father and mother and those in authority? Because verse 20 there in Colossians 3 says, It is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Once again, I just have to ask you this question. Do you love the Lord? Do you? Are you all awake tonight? I know it's Tuesday. It's been a long week already. Are you all awake tonight? Do you love the Lord or not? Yes? Yeah? Do you like the idea of putting a smile on his face? Honor your father and mother and those who are in authority above you. There's a lot of beautiful promises that come with it, but ultimately because God said so, and I'm okay with that. Verse 17, as we move into the second part of this message, thou shalt not kill. Real simple, it's murder. If you look up murder in the dictionary, it's taking someone's life. It's causing a heart to stop beating. Now here's where it gets tough. Most of you have not killed anyone, at least to my knowledge. I know most of you folks from Person County, and you're wonderful people, and I really don't think there are any murderers in the room. If you are, praise the Lord for mercy and grace, right? You're forgiven. But you know, sometimes we can break this commandment without physically killing someone. The Scriptures are very detailed when it comes to murder and taking a life. And I'm going to share with you some things tonight that will be ridiculously uncomfortable. But if we are to know how to stay within the boundaries, we need to really know what they mean. Thou shalt not kill on the surface means you should not take a life. It's not your job. God and God alone is the sovereign of the universe. He's the giver of life and He should be the only taker. End of the story. And that's where most of the time these messages stop when people are going through the Ten Commandments. But any effort we make to usurp God's authority and dabble with life and death is against this commandment. Any effort. Remember a fella named Jack Kevorkian, Dr. Death? He was known for what's nicely known as euthanasia. In other words, if you you're sick, you're just not going to get better, or you're old and you're just not enjoying life anymore, you go see Dr. Death and he'd fix you up. Take your life. Jack Kevorkian was a murderer. He died on June 3rd, 2011. So no longer will he offer his services, if that's what you want to call them. You say, well, look, you don't get it. Some people are suffering so badly 
They're going through so much. They'd be better off if someone takes their life in a humane way. They deserve that dignity. What they deserve is what the Lord planned for them. And Dr. Kevorkian, nor you or anyone else, has the right to determine when someone's days end. God said, I have numbered your days and I know the plans I have for you. And maybe laying there in a bed and suffering, even though it seems cruel to us, is part of God's bigger picture. Jack Kevorkian took into his hands God's job. And when someone takes a life, that offends God in a very deep way. He's the giver of life. He loves you. You're precious. Every life is precious. And you are a tool that He put on this earth for a reason with specific gifts to use in His service. And when somebody takes one of those tools out, it's just like me when I go out to my shed sometime and try to figure out where my tools are because a neighbor didn't bring one back. I get frustrated. I get offended because I need that tool. Well, God can create more tools. He'll do what He needs to do to get His job done. But he's offended on a deep level when someone takes a life. It's his job. And you knew, you knew I couldn't preach on this verse without talking about abortion. Now, parents, I understand this may open up a lot of conversation with you and your kids, but it's time to have it if they're, ti- if they're understanding it. And this is very sensitive, but I can't leave it alone. Folks, let me just make it real simple. Abortion is stopping a heartbeat. And it's murder. If you are offended, there's the back door. But God said it, not me. When does life begin? When God gives it life. I'm going to read to you some statistics that I put in a book I published a few years back. And because I knew I wouldn't remember them and I didn't want to mess this up, I'll just read it to you word for word. There are over 2 million abortions performed each year within the United States. That equals about 3,700 terminated innocent lives every day. Now, even if you believe that abortions are reasonable in the case of incest or rape, both of these reasons barely tip the scale when you look at the facts. Listen to this. The Center for Bioethical Reform reports that only 1% of all abortions are performed due to rape or incest. And a mere 6% of U.S. abortions are performed to the fear of medical complications if the baby is carried to term. Now, I'm not an unreasonable man. I understand that there are times when you feel like this may be the right decision, rape, incest, or if the mother may die. But when you look at these facts, it says only 7% of all those 2 million are because of those reasons. That means that 93% of all abortions are done in the name of convenience and birth control. 1,860,000 murders per year for the name of convenience. Now listen, the reality is there may be someone in this room who has been a part of this. And you've got to understand God's mercy and grace goes deeper than you could ever imagine. He cares far more about where you're headed than where you've been. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just telling you that it's murder. There's no way around it. Because you've taken on God's job. But regardless of how you feel about this controversial subject, can you possibly say that 1,860,000 lives per year should be taken in the name of convenience? You say, well, what about a woman's right to choose? She has a right to choose before she decides to do what is required for her to have a child to begin with. That's why God gave us boundaries in the sexual realm as well. But that's for another time. 
although we were getting close to that at the supper table tonight, huh? But we'll talk about that one another time if you ever ask me back after tonight. <laughs> Moving right along, I've got to deal with this caveat now. Because whenever you say, thou shalt not kill, well, what about the death penalty, preacher? What about the death penalty? Who instituted it? God. That's another thing you won't hear preached very often. It's not comfortable, and it's going to mean questions, and it's going to mean comments, maybe even complaints from me later. doesn't matter. I know what the Scriptures say. In Genesis 9-6, God instituted the death penalty. And you say, well, that's an Old Testament. That's the angry God. Listen, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the New Testament, we find that in Romans 13:4. You forfeited your right to life if you feel like you can take someone else's is what it boils down to. So don't run out and say, well, the preacher said it's all all right. You can kill anybody anytime. I didn't say that. I'm just letting you know that I knew the death penalties in your mind, some of you, and we've dealt with it. But thou shalt not kill the obvious ones I think we understand and we're good with. But you know, there is a deeper and far more subtle one that happens all the time. And somehow we feel like we have a right to do it. And that's when we tell lies or half-truths or begin to gossip and murmur in the church and cause discord and dissension in the church, either running people off or keeping them out of the church. You may cost them their eternal life. Scriptures deal with that one in Proverbs 6, 19. It talks about the discord and the disdain that lies and gossip and half-truths can cause in the church, murmuring and complaining. Folks, that's not the things that should be taking place in the church. You have a right to your opinion, but you are in a body of believers where if God is king and sovereign, the majority still rules. And just because you don't get your way doesn't mean you have a right to complain and murmur and cause trouble. I can't you the times I watched growing up, the meetings after the meetings in the parking lot at church. Shame on you if you're a part of that. Say your peace in here out of love and from your heart, but then be happy with what the church decides to move forward with unless it's outside the boundaries of this book. Because if you in the church begin to bicker and murmur and have issues and lie and gossip, who wants to come? The church should be a place of solace place of peace. The Bible says that that's how they will identify us as to how we love one another. Love does not backbite. Love does not talk junk about other people. Because when we do that, people may not come in the doors and we may be committing spiritual murder for that very thing. Bet you never thought about it that way, did you? And then there's one more that I cannot leave alone. The rejection of Christ is also a form of murder. If you are here tonight and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are committing a form of spiritual suicide because Romans 6.23 could not be more clear. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and that's through Christ Jesus. If you don't accept, you are killing yourself, and God's not okay with that either because you are precious to Him. Every life is. So tonight, it's real simple. During this invitation, I'm going to ask you to deal with God on the issues of obedience to authority and respect. You know where you are on these things. Folks, it's clear. Honor your father and mother and the authority above you. And do not kill in any way. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word.
And thank you for the ability to stand on it even through a very difficult message. Father, this isn't one of those that tickles our ears and we're going to leave here smiling and feeling better about ourselves. This is tough. These are controversial issues. But, Father, there should be no controversy for the genuine Christian. You expect us to value and esteem our parents and those who are parental figures to us. And with it comes great blessing, but more than anything, it's the blessing of knowing we've pleased you. You've made it clear to us that you value life and that we should as well. And we shouldn't do anything that takes a life, even in a passive way. And Father, for these things that are taking place in our nation, all over the world for that matter, help us to understand that if we don't take a stand and open our mouth against these things, it's the same as condoning it. May we not murder through our silence any more than we would through our actions. Father, during this invitation, help us to understand you do expect obedience in regards to authority and respect. We pray that you'd forgive us for where we failed you in that. And I just pray now that you'd move your people according to your word, not mine. In the name of Jesus, amen.